Hey everyone, and welcome to the Annex Tuesday Night Podcast. The Annex is a community seeking to discover and live life in Jesus. And we hope that this message will help you do just that. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe. So these messages come right to your phone each week. And you can always check us out at theannexboulder.com or on our Instagram account at theannex.boulder. Enjoy today's message. All right, well, welcome everybody. Um, how's everybody doing tonight? Excellent. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, I myself, I am, I am propped up under the, just sheerly under the, 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 the wings of caffeine and now Capri Sun. So you guys forgive me if I stick a little bit close to my notes tonight. But anyway, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, if you don't know me, my, my name's Joe, and uh, we're in the second week of this three-part series that we're doing on worship called Ascribe Worth. And um, so tonight what we're going to be doing is we're going to be building and we're going to be sort of expanding on a lot of these ideas that we, we started to talk about last week. But, but just in case you weren't here um, or you haven't listened to the talk, you know, you're having fun at Big Cabin Weekend or whatever, this is a, this is a quick recap of, of a little bit of what we talked about last week. So we started with this idea that worship is, is simply the act of ascribing worth, the act of attributing value to God. And then we talked about how, how worship itself, worship is not confined to what we do in church, but it's actually meant to be something that we do with our whole lives. And that the reason we worship is because we actually find our truest selves when we ascribe worth to God. And not only that, but that we worship because our lives, our, our living sacrifice, is actually the primary way that God calls people into himself. And then finally what we talked about uh, last week was, was how the, 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 the reason we worship here and the reason we do this thing called, called church is because we need each other. We need a, a place to come together and remember and remind each other of the life and the identity that we have in Jesus. And Dave Last week, Dave actually, uh, he summed it up really nicely after the service. Um, he, he said, when we ascribe worth to the one who is worthy, that it changes us and it actually changes the world. And this is like, um, I, I, he said that and I was like, dang, I wish I'd thought of that because that's pretty much this whole series in a nutshell. So he said, when we ascribe worth to the one who is worthy, it changes us and it actually changes the world. So that's something for us to hold on to. But there's one other really big thing that we, we only barely touched on last week when it comes to this conversation about worship. And it's something that the New Testament talks a lot about, and it's something that Jesus first hinted at when he was having this really improbable conversation with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. This is from, this is from John 4. Jesus said this, Yet a time is coming... And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I know that for most of us, that when, when we look at that passage, like it seems like an epic idea. But more than likely, it also seems really like out there and abstract and, and confusing. But what we find is that this passage 
it actually represents one of the most profoundly hopeful aspects of our faith in Jesus. Because what it shows us is that all these things that we talked about last week and all the things that we talk about here at the Annex, that that they're actually more than just really nice ideas. It shows us that we don't just ascribe worth to a book or to, to a value system. We don't just worship an idea. We don't worship in darkness. We actually worship in truth. And it's a big truth. It's a truth that tells us that there is a God. There is, there is a God who loves us, that there is a God who is not silent, but a God who is active and living, and that there is a God worth worshiping. But it's not the kind of truth that we're used to. And it's not the truth that we can see on our own. It's a truth that we understand when we learn how to listen to someone that Jesus promised, a person that Jesus promised would come to us. It's the truth that we know through the Holy Spirit. So let me pray briefly for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into stuff tonight. Lord, I thank you for gathering all of us here. I, I ask that, that, that tonight you, you would, your spirit would speak as we, as we learn about the, the character and the, the movement and the presence of your spirit. I pray that we would be open, that we would be receptive, and that we would hear your voice in, in all of the interactions and all of the things that we, we do tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mm. Delicious. Okay. So, last week we talked about how, how worship is a topic that, that we, don't, we just don't talk about it that often. And my guess is that many of us feel the same way, the exact same way about the Holy Spirit, that we don't really understand it. We don't talk about that often. We don't really know what it is. And I'm definitely in that camp a lot of the time. Is the Holy Spirit a thing? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Is it the same thing as the Holy Ghost? Is it the same thing as God or, or, or Jesus? Like, what, what's going on with the Holy Spirit? And I, do, and I think that that's partially okay to have questions because the Holy Spirit is something that we're, we're not supposed to figure out entirely. But it's pretty, what's pretty undeniable and what's pretty surprising is that at least in this, this Western, Protestant, evangelical version of Christianity, that the role of the Holy Spirit has been pretty severely minimized if not forgotten entirely. Now, for example, you know, we come, to, we come to church or, you know, you go to your core group or your Bible study or whatever, and, and in those contexts, you'll probably, talk about, uh, you'll probably talk about the Bible, probably talk about God, probably talk about Jesus, but I'm guessing rarely, if ever, is the Holy Spirit discussed or, or mentioned in, in any kind of overt, uh, like, I, rarely is the Holy Spirit discussed explicitly. And guys, that should surprise us. That's a really surprising thing when we actually read Scripture because the Holy Spirit is everywhere throughout the Bible. He's in the first two verses of Genesis. He pops up repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. There's a whole book of the New Testament that's about him, the book of Acts. So the first question that we have to answer tonight as we approach this, this idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth is why don't we talk about the Holy Spirit more often? My daughter just loves to interact with me when I, when I speak. <laughs> okay, so. Now this, this is going to get really meta with me. Meta for a second, so I, I want you guys to stick with me. But, that, but I think the real reason that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit more, the reason that, that we don't seem to care about the Holy Spirit or that we've forgotten the Holy Spirit, it actually has to do with our need for control. 
So if I were to summarize the the biggest, like the broadest strokes possible, the entire story of God and and humanity, or maybe the the central flaw of humanity, really what, what I would call the essence of sin is our need for control. Because what we see throughout the whole, throughout all of Scripture is, is God saying to people, like, seriously, do this my way. Let me be in control of your life, and things are going to work out okay. And the human response to that over and over and over again is, yeah, God, like, you're great and everything, but, but we, would rather, we would rather do things our way. And that's the impulse in us that always leads to disaster. So today, our cultural circumstance is obviously way different from what we find in the Bible, but the human need for control, it's still the primary thing that drives a wedge between us and God. And guys, we could spend a whole night just talking about the, the human need for control and, and how it drives us and how it, um, it makes us do things that are literally insane. But as people in Western civilization in, in 2018, I think that the need for control manifests itself in our faith in how we intellectualize God, okay? So, little background on that. Essentially, in, in our culture, Western civilization, it was built on this idea that if we just study something hard enough, if we, if we work a problem long enough, if we can just find the right way to think about something, then we can solve it. And in a lot of ways, this has worked out really, really well for us. It's led to some of the most dramatic improvements in, in, in the quality of human life that, that we've ever seen in, in science and technology, in, in government and, and politics. And this ethic of intellectualism, it's allowed us to control our lives and, and to control the world around us in ways that we, we never could before, right? So right now, most of you are, are at college. You're at an institution, this really structured, systematic environment that, in, that the hope is that you are going to be able to control your life trajectory. You're going to be able to, to control your career path and, and the, the direction that your life takes, right? We have social media. We have platforms that are essentially systems that allow us to control the image that we, we put off to the outside world and control our social interactions. So how many of you guys are like, you've either taken or are sort of slightly obsessed with the Enneagram? Anybody? Yeah, a few people. We even have systems of controlling ourselves and systems of understanding ourselves. And because this way of thinking is so deeply embedded in our culture, it's also become the primary way that we experience God. In the West, you guys, we engage God with our minds. It's all over our Christian culture. If you're a serious Christian, what do you do? You study Scripture. You're in a Bible study. You read books about faith. We have systematic theology. Right? If you want to be a pastor or, or a ministry leader, in a lot of cases, you, you literally have to go get a graduate-level degree in order to be pre-qualified for that position. And guys, I'm, not, I'm really not here to bash like this, this reformed theology or systematic theology because it's good in a lot of ways. It's given us a lot of things. And a lot can be gained from the intellectual study of God and Scripture. But it can turn into and has turned into a trap for so many of us when it is the only way that we engage with Scripture and our faith and with God. 
Because when it's used the wrong way, when our intellectualism is used the wrong way, it turns God into a problem to be solved. It turns our faith into something that's not really faith at all. It turns our faith into just the pursuit of a system of controlling God. So I remember the first time that, that I really encountered, I had like a face-to-face with this, with this way of thinking. I was, um, I was in high school. I was probably a sophomore or junior. I'd been going to youth group for, for a little while. I was probably sort of pseudo-Christian at this point. And I was over at one of my friend's house, and um, I, I overheard this conversation. Um, her, her dad was going over some Sunday school homework with her younger sister. And I remember that the, the, the question that they were going over was, why did, why, when Jesus was on the cross, why did Jesus say, Father, why have you forsaken me while he was on the cross? And that's a good question. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a legit question. It's something that should catch our, our eye when we read that passage. But, but I remember that the answer that they discussed, the answer that they were going over, was something to the effect of, well, so Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was taking on the sins of the world. But because, that God, because God the Father is, is holy, that he actually couldn't be present at the same time. With, with sin. And so that's why Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me while he was, he was on the cross? That's why Jesus was, you know, quote-unquote, abandoned on the cross. And maybe you grew up with that story, too. Maybe that's how you still interpret that moment, and, and I'm not here to refute that tonight. But I remember hearing that story and, and immediately thinking, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Even, if, even as a high schooler, I, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? If I thought that God was omnipotent, I thought that he was all-powerful, and he could do literally anything that he wanted so, wanted, so isn't it a total contradiction to say that God couldn't do something? And I remember pretty much from that point, you know, through high school, up through college, I really struggled with this, with this idea of understanding the cross because it didn't seem to make any logical sense to me. Right? Whichever way I looked at it, if God is really all-powerful, then Jesus didn't have to die. But if Jesus had to die, well, then God really isn't all-powerful. And maybe you, you find yourself in a, in a similar situation, you know, either with that question or, or any number of questions we can have about, about God or the Bible or, or theology. But what's important about that story for what we're talking about tonight is that both sides of it, you guys— both sides of that story reflect how, how limiting it is when we only have an intellectual approach to our faith. Okay, so on one hand, on one hand, you have this, you have this Sunday school answer to this question. And, and I think this is reflective of, of a tendency that many Christians have, which is to be so desperate to solve the problem, so desperate to close this system, so desperate to feel like they are in control like we are in control of our, of our intellectual concept of God, that we're willing to ignore the things about our faith that don't actually make sense, right? What we feel is this security in, in a rigid system. It makes us feel secure, and it can make us feel like we're in control. And we can go to some pretty, pretty substantial, even some, some pretty irrational lengths to, to protect the system that we've built that makes us feel like we're in control of our concept of God. Okay, so that's one side of it. But on the other hand, 
you had my response to this question. And my response to this one logical inconsistency that I saw was doubt. Pretty, pretty severe doubt. And what I didn't realize for many years, and what I still have trouble realizing, and what's really difficult to realize at a place, an academic place like CU, is that that kind of response, is, it's actually just as flawed. It's just as narrow-minded. And see, the problem that I encountered was that actually because, because I couldn't close this system, because I couldn't rationalize this concept, because I couldn't solve the problem, because I couldn't do that, it made me think that actually maybe this whole thing, that all of Christianity was wrong. And so, do you guys see the disconnect there? Do you, do you see... Do you see how it's really, it's really just two sides of the same coin, right? They're both sides that are trying to apply human intellect, human logic to figure out the concept of God, right? Something that, that by its definition is beyond our capacity for understanding. But we're so wrapped up in this way of thinking. It's so deeply embedded within us that we don't, we don't see the contradiction. Because the reason that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit The reason we've forgotten the Holy Spirit is because here in the Western developed world, we have become so confident in our intellectual ability to control our lives and control our surroundings that we've forgotten. We've forgotten why we need Him. We've forgotten why we need the Holy Spirit. Delicious. Okay. So, fair enough, right? Why, in our modern context, why today would we need such a, such a thing as the Holy Spirit? Well, the short answer, you guys, is because as powerful as our mind, as powerful as, powerful as our intellects are, we still don't have the entire truth. There's still something lacking in our understanding of the universe. Now, now what's interesting is, is that in John 14, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples, the first thing that he calls him is the Spirit of truth. But today, it's so ingrained in us to think that, that truth, this idea of truth, is, is synonymous with what we can logically comprehend. Truth is intellectual, right? Truth is fact. And what we've forgotten is that this notion of truth, this idea of truth, it is so much bigger than what we can figure out with our minds. Now, it's not, it's not separate from that. It's not separate from our intellect, but it's deeper. It extends beyond it. It extends through it. But what we've, but we've been taught to ignore that part of the truth. We've forgotten how to see it. But here, here's what's interesting about that, okay? And it's, this is actually one of the things I find really hopeful, is that we also can't escape from it. No matter how hard we try, we can't get away from our need for this deeper language. We can't get away from the need for this deeper expression of truth. And here's how I know. Why do we use music in worship? Why has music been part of every religious practice since the beginning of civilization? Why is every major life event that we go through usually marked by some type of music? It's because as much as our intellectualism might, might reject this notion, we know, we know with a deep part of ourselves that there are things that cannot be conveyed. There are truths that cannot be understood 
through just the use of our minds. So, and we, we might not ever, we rarely talk about this, but intuitively, we, we know that it's true. You, you know that there is somehow a difference between speaking something and singing it, right? I could stand up here all night. I could take the entire time that I have to, to, to do this talk and just repeat the phrase, you are good, you are good, okay? And nothing would happen. It, it probably wouldn't it probably wouldn't do anything for us except to, to sort of indicate that maybe Joe is, is losing it a little bit, right? But when we sing it, something happens. When we put it in the context of a song and we sing that phrase, something, something happens to it. You don't just understand it with your mind. You, you feel it. You live. You actually participate in the truth that it's conveying with a, with a much bigger, a much compl- more complete part of yourself. You guys, that, to be honest, that's the reason that I'm a musician. And I can tell you honestly that I probably would be miles away from the church. I probably wouldn't be a Christian right now if, if it weren't for this deeper connection to my faith that I'm continually able to find through music. And that's why we use music in church. That's why there's time set aside in any church service that you go to specifically for music. That's actually, I think, the reason that we tend to confuse music for worship. Okay? But music, well, so what music does is it, is it, is it opens us up. It is the most universal way that we, as a group of people, can tap into, you ready for it? The language of the Spirit. But music isn't the only way that we can experience this. And this is one of the things that you don't have to be a Christian to understand this. We know with some part of ourselves that there are transcendent experiences all around us. There are things that are true, but we can't explain them rationally. Right? We, talked, we talked last week, if you were here, we talked about the, the feeling of, of looking up into the night sky and, the, and this universal feeling of being pulled into something bigger. We feel this all over the place in, in, our, in our relationships with people, right? How, how um, someone, someone doing something, an act of kindness, or, or somebody showing up for you when you need somebody to show up for you, how that action can mean more than what words can describe. Right? So many, why do so many of us cry or, or tear up during the vows at, at a wedding ceremony? Why do so many of us tear up when we, are, when we are faced, when we encounter something beautiful? It's because there is a truer expression. There is a deeper expression. There is a language of our spirits. Okay, and this isn't just in our positive emotions, you guys. It's, it's in every aspect of our lives. So I was at a conference uh, not too long ago, back in March in, in North Carolina, and I heard this story um, that was probably the, the clearest example of the language of a person's spirit that I've ever heard. So what, what happened was this, this woman got up to share her story about, about growing up in an emotionally abusive household. And what she described was being about eight years old and her parents having these nightly screaming arguments with each other. And she, as an eight-year-old, she was terrified. So what she would do is, is she would lock herself in a closet with a notebook and, and a pen, and she would, she would sit there in the dark and just scribble with the pen 
on the notebook, on the notebook while, while her parents are, are wherever they are just, just screaming at each other. And she said that she would scribble so much that the page would just turn black. And then after that she had no more room to, to scribble, she would take her fingers and just run her fingers down, down the texture that the, that the pen had created on the paper. And I heard that story, you guys, and I thought that in that moment that that is the clearest example that I've ever heard of someone's soul crying out. Because there, there was literally no words. There's no rational means of articulating the truth of what she was experiencing except for this, this physical, this tactile, emotional response. So the end of that story is that this woman, this woman is now an art therapist. She seeks to, to help people through creative expression. But the point of, of all that, the point of that story and, and, all the, and all those examples that we just talked about is that we experience real things that transcend reality. Our souls cry out in joy and confusion and suffering. Our souls cry out. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, is answering us in ways that our spirits understand. But the tragedy, you guys, the tragedy of our Western intellectualism is that it teaches us that it's not real. The truths of God that we experience through music and, and nature and our relationships, that it teaches us that, the, teaches us that those are somehow secondary. They're secondary to the truth that, truth that we can rationally describe, right? Why do so, so many of us, myself included, why do so many of us struggle with prayer? It's because it doesn't feel logical. It doesn't feel like we can rationalize it. And so we, we sort of brush it aside as, as this less important aspect of, of being a Christian. I personally, I get so frustrated that I can't articulate, I can't articulate these deep things of God that I feel like God's, God's love and, and things like the meaning of the cross, right? But what we see over and over and over again in Scripture is that that's not how we're supposed to build our faith. It's not how we're supposed to build our faith. So Paul this guy who wrote a lot of the, the New Testament, uh, the, the guy that we talked about last week, um, he, he wrote another really famous letter. And this was a letter to the, the, the church, this church in Corinth, this famous Roman city in the first century. And so he said this, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who, among, who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And, we have and what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths, spiritual realities in spirit-taught words. You guys, as believers, as people who have said yes to Jesus, we can understand, we can speak these deep things of God. We're just perpetually trying to do it in the wrong way. We're trying to do it with human wisdom while God is actively trying to give us something bigger and better. Okay? 
If we take this back, if we take this reality that we can speak, we can know the deep things of God, if we take this back to the idea of, of, of worshiping in spirit and in truth, it has staggering implications. Because what we see is that, is that Jesus, he's not telling us to worship what we don't know. He's not telling us to have blind faith. He's not telling us to worship something blindly. He wants us to worship in truth. Okay? In John 14, this is the, this is the time when, when Jesus actually promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He says this. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. He says, I'm going to teach you all the things that you don't know, and I'm going to remind you of all the things that you do know. You don't, you don't have to ascribe worth. You don't have to worship an idea or, or this concept of, of a far-off God. The Spirit is going to ascribe worth so that you can worship this active, living truth that is my Spirit in you. Okay? We, you guys, as Christians, we don't worship a truth. We don't, we don't worship a good truth. We worship in the truth, the deepest truth imaginable, this truth that is the very essence of being, that, that itself created the universe. That's what we have access to by the Spirit of God. Now, how small does our little intellectual faith seem by comparison to that. Because over here we, we have the spirit of, of absolute truth that, that created the universe, and over here we have like the okayest ideas that man can create that we can wrap our minds around. But here's what's so vitally important about that distinction. Here's what's so vitally important about that choice that we make. When we choose to build our faith on this, when we choose to build our faith on human wisdom rather than the active living spirit of God, what we're doing is we're building our faith on something that is perishable. So my friend, this, this guy Dave Wilton, who's, he's actually coming in to speak to us next week, he, this is the way that he phrased this, and I think it's a really good way of remembering. He said, if your faith is made by man, if your faith is made by man, then it can be unmade by man. If our faith is built on a human system, on human wisdom, then human wisdom can also destroy our faith. Now, what we forget over and over again, what we forget over and over again is that this absolute truth, absolute truth, you guys, is not threatened. Absolute truth is not threatened by human arguments and human wisdom. The absolute truth that we know in Jesus by God's Spirit, it, it, it is. It cannot be unmade. It cannot be unmade by anything, much less a human idea. But for the most part, you guys, you, me, most Christians, at least to some extent, that's, that's not how we treat our faith. We don't treat our faith as if we have the Spirit of truth. We live like we have this delicate system that needs to be defended from threats at all costs. We live like every new idea, everything that we encounter if, that, that doesn't perfectly fit into this framework that we've constructed, we act like that's a threat. And so we either willfully ignore, right? We, we, we shut ourselves out from the ideas that we find challenging, or we take on this really 
it seems noble, but it's this really futile task of, of defeating these threatening ideas with, with other just intellectual arguments. And guys, this is, not, this is not the kind of faith we're called to in Scripture, okay? In all three, all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says something to, the, to his disciples to prepare them. He, and what, basically, you, you can think of it this way. What does he tell his disciples? What does he tell his disciples to do when they are brought before kings and rulers to give a witness, to give a, a testimony, to give an account of their faith? What does he tell them to do when their life is literally on the line? Does he tell them to just sort of shut down and like shut out all the things that, 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 that are challenging them? Does, does he tell them to have their apologetics ready and, you know, make sure that they have really sound, structured arguments to, uh, you know, defeat the, the, the opposing viewpoint? No, he doesn't tell them either of those things. He says this. This is, in, this is in Mark. He says, Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You guys, if our faith feels like a house of cars, if it feels like a stack of dominoes, where, where if just one thing is pulled out, Right? If, if, if science can disprove the, the literal interpretation of the Bible, or, or you know, if, if philosophy can point out just one logical inconsistency in our faith, then, then the whole structure is going to collapse. If our faith feels like that, then guess what? It's built on a human system. It's a faith that needs to be coddled and, and protected from the outside world. And all of us, you guys, all of us, to some extent, are guilty of this. But if our faith is built on the living presence of Jesus' spirit within us, then, then it rests on a truth that can't be challenged. It can't be unmade. It's a truth that can stand up in front of rulers and authority, and it's not threatened by this world, you guys. Anything this world can throw at it, it's not threatened by it. But this is, this is really why this is so important, okay? This is really why, why this is so important. So remember last week, we talked about this idea of, of worship, how it's, how it's not just confined to what we do in church, but it's actually the reflection of how our entire lives point back, how they ascribe worth to, to who we know God to be, and how our lives are actually the primary way that God calls people back to himself. You guys, the truth, the truth that we know by God's Spirit is how that happens, because we can try to rationally explain. We can try, we can try to defend our faith in, in human terminology for as long as we want. And potentially, we could never win anybody over through, through our human arguments. But when we worship in spirit and in truth with our lives, that's how the gospel reaches people. Okay? The truth that calls people to Jesus, it is and it always has been the lives of his followers. Now, if you do that, you, you can tear apart every book of the Bible. You can point out every logical inconsisten inconsistency in Christian belief and the worst moments of church history. You guys, the life of a Christian who loves people the same way that Jesus loved them is always going to be a more powerful message than that. It's always going to be a more powerful message. So, 
do, do you want to, like, do you have this desire in you that, 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 that I feel sometimes? It's like, I just want to win the argument. I want to win the argument. I want, I want to show all the non, I want to show the, the, the people who aren't Christians and try to tear down faith. I want to show them how wrong they are. Is that, is that something you feel? Because what I think is, is, if that's what we feel, then we need to love those people like Jesus loved them, right? With that, that desire in us, if we really want to win the argument, We've got, to love these, we've got to love people as Jesus loved them. Because that message, isn't, it, it's not communicated in human terms. That's a message that's spoken and understood by the spirits of people whose soul cry out for something that only Jesus can offer. Now here's the hard part. Okay? Here's the hard part. Doing this, Worshiping with our whole selves, worshiping in the spirit and in truth. It's not possible, you guys, if we cling to our need for control. And I actually think that the reason that a lot of the time we we can't see God, it's not because God isn't speaking. It's not for a lack of evidence. It's because we actually can't surrender our control enough to hear what he's saying. And the constant temptation for us is always going to be to go back and, and stick to our intellect and stick to our closed systems of faith because that's where we feel secure. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's part of being human. But two things we know. Two things we know about God and we know about the Spirit. One are that he, he can't be controlled. He can't be figured out. And two, that he's always pressing out. Right? If, you're in a, if you're at a spot in your faith where you feel like you've got this figured out, if you feel like you, you've got a handle on exactly who God is, well, that's exactly the place where we don't have it figured out. If we're in a spot where we feel comfortable and complacent in our faith, a place where it seems like our faith is enough for us, we're, if that's the place that we feel like we're in, we're not listening to the Spirit. Because the heart of God, you guys, is always to call people back to himself, to call people into life. And if we have the heart of God, if it's his spirit working within us, then that's going to be the desire of our hearts as well. Now, the other thing that makes this hard, you guys, is that I, I know personally that so much of the time, this is, this is just really hard to believe. Because sometimes it feels like God isn't showing up. Sometimes it feels like God is absent or apathetic in the midst of whatever we're going through, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our pain. And sometimes, for whatever reason, we just don't see the truth. We don't feel the truth that we're talking about tonight. And believe me, I I know what that is. I know what it is to doubt. It's it's part of who I am. And so if that's that's you tonight, if you're you're doubting whether God is there, or you you don't think that what I'm talking about is real, first of all, what you got to know is that you're not alone in that. See, whether, whether or not we're willing to admit it, that's, that's all of us in this room. That's been all of us at some point, or it will be all of us at some point who just don't know if God is there. And if that's the spot that you, ha- if that's the spot that you find yourself in tonight, here's, here's what I would say. Just keep living like a Jesus follower. I know that I know that, that sounds weird, but if, if, you're, if you're overcome with doubt, just keep living like a Jesus follower. If, if for no other reason, then it's the best way to live your life. To treat other people with dignity and respect. To love people 
as Jesus loved them, to love people self, selflessly. And my guess, you guys, is that even though, yeah, like, I can't promise this, obviously, but even though, like, even if what you're going through, it doesn't stop, even if your suffering continues, even if your doubt continues, my guess is that you'll be able to look back at some point and, and see not necessarily a reason for what you were going through, but a reason for you in that situation to be able to see how the Spirit was actually working through you, even when you don't know it, even when you feel like you're doubting or you feel like you're suffering. And secondly, and this is really, as, as we start to wrap up tonight, this is, this is the advice that I give to all of us, is just keep listening, okay? So we need to surrender our desires for control and listen, to the, listen for the voice that ascribes worth. Listen for the voice that reminds you of who Jesus is and who you are. Listen for the voice that speaks with a deeper language than what the world can offer. Okay? So, this is one of my favorite quotes. Okay? It's a quote from a really incredible poem called, called Say Yes by, by, an author called, by an author named Andrea Gibson. And it says this, When two violins are placed in a room, if a chord on one violin is struck, the other violin will sound that note. If this is your definition of hope, this is for you. Okay, this is true. This is, this is part of the physics of sound. It's called, it's called an overtone, and I can, I can show you guys this. I can illustrate it for you tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play one note. I'm just going to play one note, and, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to hold this key down so that the, the string underneath it can freely vibrate. This is exactly what this quote is talking about. Did you guys hear it? Okay, more often than not, I think that this is how the Spirit of God speaks to us. It's not always loud, it's not always an audible voice, it's not always clear, but it's a song that's been playing since the beginning of creation that says a light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That there is life, that there is redemption, that there is always hope. And that hope was made real in a person named Jesus. You guys, your heart, my heart, every human heart is tuned to resound to this message. The Spirit is singing that truth over us. And our responsibility is to listen and with our whole selves listen. And then to share it in how we worship and how we live. Let's pray together and we'll spend some time singing. Lord, we ask that your spirit would speak to us. We ask that even, for, even, even in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we, we ask that we can hear that, that voice that communicates a deeper truth. We pray that we'd be open to the ways that you'd speak. And we pray that, that God, that we'd be able to see not just something that feels like an abstract idea, not something that, that feels incomplete or, or unsubstantial, but something that feels real and real with a deep part of ourselves. We surrender the things we do tonight, our interactions, our worship. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you back here next week.